Tired of ads interrupting your favorite show? Good news. Ad-free listening on Amazon Music is included with your Prime membership. Just head to amazon.com slash ad-free fitness to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Enjoy thousands of ACAST shows ad-free for Prime subscribers. Some shows may have ads. Secret Library Podcast is brought to you in part by the support of our Patreon members. To help the show continue and get weekly writing pep talks at the salon level, check out patreon.com slash secret library. This is the Secret Library Podcast. Welcome to season three, The Nourished Writer. My guest today is Greta Solomon. Born in London in 1977 to Afro-Caribbean immigrants from Nevis and Jamaica, Greta Solomon is a writer, author, teacher, and journal healer. Greta is a qualified life coach, lyricist, and lifelong learning teacher, and has clocked up thousands of coaching and tutoring hours with her clients. She has a degree in psychology from the University of Warwick, and a former career as a women's magazine journalist, with feature writing and deputy editor positions at Woman and Executive Woman. She's a Forbes.com contributor, the author of Just Write It, How to Develop Top-Class University Writing Skills, and the author of Heart, Sass, and Soul, Journal Your Way to Inspiration and Happiness. She's also a published poet and songwriter. Greta has been on the show before, and I know those of you who heard that episode will not be surprised to see her back. Greta is so inspiring, supportive, and a champion for the relationship between journaling and writing success. We went through ways to take care of yourself as a writer, all the ways she could think of to nurture your writing practice and feel confident in getting your words down on the page. I'm thrilled to welcome back to the show, Greta Solomon. Hey, Greta, thank you so much for coming back on. Hi, Caroline. Thank you so much for having me. It was really great to be on last time. So I'm delighted to be back. I'm really excited to dive into a topic that we both chatted about, which is how taking care of yourself as a writer looks really different depending on what stage of a project you're on. So it's not like we can say, oh, I've got my self-care sorted and then just forget about it and always think that we're doing the same thing no matter what. So I'm wondering if you can say a bit about how it changed for you working on your book throughout the course of the process. Small question. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, <it> definitely. <laughs> The thing is with self-care is, first of all, to say that I think we have to look at self-care as not the things that you do for yourself. So not about whether you're going to yoga class or whether you're eating the right things or how much you're exercising, but how you feel about the things that you do, if you see what I mean. Mm. So if going to yoga class makes you feel that when you come back, your writing is flowing and you feel really great, then that's working for you. But 
and you feel inspired. But if going to yoga class makes you just kind of like annoyed, <laughs> like you can't get the right moves and you, you're just feeling kind of restricted and constricted in yourself, then that's, that doesn't work at all. So for me, it kind of changes as to what works well for me and what doesn't depending on exactly where I am. So, um, for example, I started Hearts, Ass and Soul. The very kind of first words were, I think it was 2016. And by that point, I'd, I'd learned that, you know, it's not a nine to five job, that you can't, writing isn't something that you need to be slotting in you know, to an eight hour schedule and having an hour off for lunch. I'd I'd learned that by then because that was the kind of mistake I made with my first book, thinking I could just kind of replicate that sort of corporate way of working. And I find that doesn't work at all. And it was about at that point of time, I was literally just giving myself permission to just get all the gunk out. It was very kind of, I I did a lot of free writing. I did a lot of um, journaling. And a lot of just sort of processing old emotions and old things. And I would just literally go to Starbucks and just throw everything onto the page. And and it wasn't pretty and it wasn't nice, but that was the beginning of the book. And and at the same time, I was doing a lot of um, going to Barry's boot camp all the time and doing a lot Mm. of very kind of high impact exercise. That is intense. Yeah. And it was really weird because I'm not like that now. I don't need that now and don't want that now. But at that time, it really does depend on what's trying to come through you and what you think you need to do to get the stuff out, if you see what I mean. And that can look very individual to you. And it's all about, it's very much sort of a a self-trust thing when it comes to how you approach your your writing project, whatever it is. I don't know if that, that resonates. It does so much because I think something that, that seems to come up and I think putting it as self-trust is so important because I think we are not trained to trust ourselves or to trust our impulses. It's almost like we have this belief underneath that we're fundamentally lazy and we have to subvert that. And so therefore we seem to not trust the impulses that we have and think that we can find this one perfect, very neatly laid out routine that we can then follow very strictly forever. Yes, that that is exactly it because that's how we were trained at school, that that was the way to do it. And that actually worked quite well for, you know, 16 years of school, however long you were in school. But then when, and, and it can work as well. So say when I was a journalist and I worked in PR, that's fine. You can get all your journalism work done. You can do your interviews. You can produce an amazing body of work. But when the work is from your heart and soul, all of that has to go completely out of the window. And I have um, a quote actually from um, from Heart, Sass and Soul that I wanted to read. Oh, please. Which kind of sums up, yeah, it sums up this, exactly what we're talking about. And I've put that forging a new creative identity is about harnessing your energy so that you can surrender to the flow of life and go with the tide instead of pushing against it. So it's about, so it's about everything that you do around writing and understanding that your writing isn't just the act of your brain and your hand and your fingers. It's getting yourself into the right state where your heart and soul can flow freely through the pen or through, you know, you typing on the computer and that everything you do 
to get yourself in that state is writing, including resting, including sleeping, including taking a long break from your writing, maybe and not doing anything for ages, um, or maybe just writing five minutes and that's enough. It's, every, it's a really holistic practice to allow that little, well, not little, she's not little, but you know, <laughs> the person inside you who wants to speak and has something to say that's far deeper than what you think you want to say in your head. It's, it's a, it comes from a completely different place. And so being lazy is good. Being <laughs> undisciplined is good. And it's all about finding that. And everybody's um, way of finding that is different. It is, my way is not your way. And nor should it be. I think that's the place where people seem to get stuck in my experience is that they don't necessarily know how to find their way. It's almost like there's this voice that says, oh, yoga is maybe not the right thing today. I would rather have a bath or something. And that we've become almost deaf to that voice. And I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on how you listen in to this impulse or where you feel that so that people can get clearer about what their way might might be, if that makes sense. Yes. Yeah, definitely. So that's what I call um, the good girl voice. Mm. That comes from childhood and it comes from... Feeling a need to, it, well, basically it comes from when you yourself has not been validated by the people around you. So when you had those impulses to, well, when you were little probably wasn't to take a bath, but maybe it was to, you know, sil- sing a silly song or um, skip at the most inopportune time when you were supposed to be walking nicely. And you learn to be a good girl, to tone it down, to calm it down. And you learn that that... Um, the emotional response of other people wasn't positive and you really didn't like that. But at the same time, you kind of internalized the judgment and then started judging yourself. It's this whole big cycle. And I think the way that I certainly approached it for myself and how um, one of the exercises in Heart, Sass and Soul is to just start to think, do you have that good girl inside you? And where does she get in the way? And start journaling about it and um, thinking about, how does she hold you back? Why does she hold you back? And really just becoming aware of it. And um, there's a quote that I love by Helen Mirren, and um, Mm. I think it was in a magazine article. And she was asked, uh, she's a famous British actress, been in absolutely everything. She's stunningly beautiful, older woman. She's amazing. Yeah, she's absolutely amazing, isn't she? And I, I, I admire her so much for her strength of character. And she has a real sense of self. And she said in this interview that the thing she most regretted when she was younger was not telling enough people to F off. Yes, I was hoping it was that (laughs) quote. I love that quote. Oh, yeah, I love that quote. And when I read that, I was thinking, yes, me too. That is my thing too. I really, the amount of times I wish I had just said that to so many people in so many situations not because, you know, I wanted to be nasty or anything, but as a boundary, no, I don't want that. No, you can't talk to me like that. Or that's not what I want. And it's getting that fighting spirit back. And you get that 
from um, getting in your body. We, me, me and you have talked about this before, but getting inside your body, thinking about, okay, I have this good girl inside me. I'm so used to being her or good boy, you know, if, if, if you're male. So used to being him or her. And now I'm going to start to actually feel what that feels like. And maybe that feels like a bit of shame and maybe that feels like self-doubt and it feels icky and it feels awful. And to actually start to write about that, to write, to, to just free write on that, how it feels, situations that have been, been and gone where you didn't stand up, where you didn't rise up and just start to unpack it um, mm. and start to actually um, not, and while you're doing this is to stop judging yourself from the top down. So stop thinking about your grammar, stop thinking about your spelling, stop thinking, am I writing anything good? that's another you're getting in that trap again then thinking that things have to be good it's letting yourself be able to let rip in the privacy of your own home and your in your own notebook and at the same token then also examining um has anybody in your life recent or otherwise judged your writing read your journal judged you on the contents because when I do workshops I find that's the most common problem that people have that someone in the past has actually read their private most inner thoughts and, and made comments and judgments about them and it starts to block you and the only way to unblock is to share that to talk about it talk about it in communities like this and to realize that it's not right but it's normal and these are processes we have to go through to reclaim ourselves and and write ourselves again and and reclaim what we want from our writing and what we want from our lives absolutely I think oh, it's so brutal the thought of the violation of someone reading your journal. And I yeah. think just reading something before you're ready to share it. I think yes, that's just the worst thing I can imagine with writing. And you may have never wanted to ever share that with anybody. And so again, it's like reclaiming that sort of safety within you. And a lot of this does come down to, the, the trust comes down to safety. You can only trust when you feel safe, because if you feel that some danger is going to come, why would you trust? And it's reclaiming that safety within yourself, that what you feel, what you believe, what you think is all okay. It, it's, it's okay. It's private. No one's ever going to read it. And this is why the journaling aspect is so important because you, the more you journal, the more you write privately for yourself, the more comfortable you just get with your own stuff. And then you start to see that you have choice. I can either choose to show this to somebody, I can choose to polish this up and publish it, or I can choose to like throw this away and burn it and bury it and never ever show anybody again or have any, you know, um, the no chance of anyone ever seeing it. And, and I think that one of the, the ways that to get to that stage is to free up your creativity through like object writing, which I describe in a lot of detail in the last um, podcast we did, yes. so doing object writing, doing walking and writing, and just sort of learning to get learning to retrust yourself. It's kind of like, I think if you imagine if you had like a dog or a a stray dog or you know you'd adopted a, um, an animal and they're scared when they meet you and they don't trust you and it's coaxing out of them very slowly very gently very carefully and kindly and with as much love and compassion in small small ways so that they can trust you again and you kind of have to do that with yourself and, and not be harsh on yourself There's no point beating yourself up 
you'll never trust yourself then if like one minute you're writing the next minute you're sort of hitting yourself with a stick you know metaphorically it, it would it would it's not going to work so it is about being learning to be gentle with yourself I think so. And I think it's also permission that you may need different things at different times. So having questions, you know, how do I feel and what do I need are questions Mm -hmm. that we need to keep coming back to because your creative self, I love it as the image of a, a nervous, a nervous dog that, you know, some days they might feel quite confident and be willing to go for it. And other days they might get scared again. So you have to keep checking in. Yeah, exactly. And also to know that um, the sort of emotions that we don't really want to feel, the fear, the shame, the doubt, they coexist with your joy, your happiness, your creativity. And it's understanding that there's there's nothing wrong. It, it is on a continuum. There's nothing wrong if you have a bad day and you don't and you don't and you feel sort of gunky. That's normal. That's great. That means then you have the capacity to have a good day. If you are on a flat sort of um, murky nothing going on that's when you start to worry it's a feeling is not the the problem so don't let that get in the way of implementing what you just said what do I need and what do I want it doesn't matter that you know you feel a bit crap today what do you need then and if that's chocolate then that's chocolate you know whatever it is it's not it's not denying yourself the pleasure of what you think you need and I, but it's hard. Of course, it's hard because we've been so conditioned and so trained not to do this. And I think also just in terms of in terms of your self-care routine and what you do as you're writing is to gift yourself little treats. You know, um, the other day I went and bought myself some roses. I bought 12 red roses. <laughs> My husband was funny. He was like, well, if I knew you wanted some roses, I would have gone and got them for you. And it's like, well, actually, no, this is like a, just a nice gift for myself. And it's like, you can gift yourself all the things you want. You don't have to wait for permission or wait for someone else to give them to you or offer them to you. We are in charge of our, you know, lives. And so we can make them better and more exciting and more colourful and make them, you know, like Marie Kondo says, make them spark joy for us. We, we have the power to do that. It's amazing how much the Marie Kondo concept comes up because I do think <laughs> about this a lot. It's like in terms of writing, and um, you're not the only one to mention it, even on this season, is that I think we think this kind of murky, dark kind of thought is that if I were a real writer, you know, the beginning of every loaded comment we throw at ourselves, I would write with like a crappy slightly dull pencil on very pulpy paper that's not that fun to write on and it would make no difference because I would be a real writer and like if it matters to me the circumstances or the setting or how I treat myself as I write then maybe that means I'm not a real writer but I find that that's not true at all I don't know about you definitely and an exercise that I like to share is that to write down those statements so to think what are the thoughts that you're thinking before you're writing so you know things like exactly what you just said what are you thinking during writing? What are you thinking after writing? And then to rewrite those thoughts. So if you think that if you were a real writer, you would be writing with this you know, crappy pen and this pulpy paper, your more positive thought for yourself would be, there is no such thing as a real writer. All writing mm. is real. And it's, 
and we get into these negative thought patterns and it's and we really have to change the mindset so another common one is um I, I can't write or I'm just not good at writing and people even professionals can think that and it's like well then the opposing thought is well everyone can write given the right tools and the right techniques and the right than the right um, environment so it is about using your journal as a tool for your transformation so it is about the only way to kind of get your negative feelings negative thoughts out of your body and transmute them is to either create art about them which is then to write a piece about a a writer who writes on pulpy paper and has an awakening (laughs) or to (laughs) externalize them on your page as a thought and rewrite it or to externalize it via energy work through meditation through breathing um and and the the writing when we're all we're all writers here listening to this writing is your best tool for personal development because everything you have you have the inside you have the ability to externalize and process and transform you just have to be willing to look at it and that requires, again, going back to the gentleness and the kindness to look at what's there. Because if you don't look at it, someone else will. Those are your sort of weaker spots that become in the shadow that hold you back, that sort of trip you up. Or they resurface later at an, in, you know, a time when you don't want them to. So it is about having the courage to just put yourself on your table every day or however long you, however often you write and just say, okay, I'm going to face what's here today. And I think that's why, you know, people find it difficult to face the blank page. I think it's not that the, they don't know what to write. There's too much there. Who knows where to start? And it's scary to even face what's there. And, um, and I think that that's the work. It's, it's yeah, it's, in, it's internal more than external. And what we say in business writing is to be a business writing trainer is that if you're writing something any kind of business document you ought to spend you know 70% of the time planning that and 30% writing and we can look at it the same way for our writing careers 70% doing other stuff that gets us in a prime position to then spend 30% of the time writing the thing and that's a writing day or life or career in that 70-30 ratio. I think that's so important for so many reasons. Um, I have like five that are floating around and I know given, given my brain, I won't remember all of them by the time we get to them. (laughs) But I think that the first thing that is so significant is that a lot of people think if they're not sitting down and scratching away with a pen or typing, then they're not writing. So we diminish the importance of the activities that happen around writing, which Mm -hmm. might be something that feels related like research or reading or thinking about what we're writing, but it might also be something like just exercising or going for a walk or my personal favorite lately, letting ourselves get bored so we can daydream a little bit, which we almost never do anymore. Mm, Lovely. It's, it's, there's, there's so little room. We don't give ourselves room to let our minds wander. And I think that's so important in order to know what it is we want to say. Yes, definitely. Yeah. No, I said, yeah, I said those words, I'm bored for the first time um, in ages on the weekend. We were, we were in um, Brighton. It's a seaside town here in the UK. And then we were playing one of those machines where you have to get the teddy bear and you can 
you could have as many goes as you wanted to get the bear out of the the box, you know, with the, those claw things. Yeah, the claw that comes down from the yeah. top. Yeah, and about sort of 10, 15 minutes later, we still haven't got, it was actually a giant pineapple. It wasn't a bear. It was a pineapple. We still hadn't got it. And my daughter said, I'm bored now. And I was like, yeah, me too. I'm bored. And we went and did something else. And <laughs> it was really nice. It was like, yeah, yeah, we're bored. And actually, you're right. It's like, how often do you get bored? It's, it, it is, it's really rare. And it sparks something else, definitely. Yeah, I feel like times when you might get bored are the times when we think about things or we let our minds wander. It's like we we so often turn to technology or something to avoid being bored because I think in moments of boredom, it's like the emotions we don't want to deal with start to come up and we, we exactly. think, oh no, I don't want to go into that. But that's so often where powerful writing is, is in those places that feel kind of icky. Yes. They, they, that's exactly it and the the good news is that when you go in through them you come out the other side and you actually do feel better I think that's the message to to share otherwise we wouldn't do we wouldn't embark on these journeys of, of being a writer in the first place it, in the end you feel great and, and although it's like whisking off layers and layers of stuff you always feel better afterwards and I think that, that is so empowering to know that you have the power to do that and that um, other people learn from that and they enjoy the work you produce as a result of you working on yourself in that way. Definitely. I think it does lead to sort of the next stage in the process of writing. So we're sort of talking up to this point about creating the piece in the first place and that can be this confronting feeling of, Ugh, I've got this kind of ucky feeling, but I'm going to work through it and I'm going to write it. And mm-hmm. that's one stage of relief. But then it can be a bit scary, I think, when you share that work, whether it's with an editor or even further down the line when it's published and people read it. And I'm wondering how that shifted for you when the book was published, because we've talked sort of between us about the vulnerability of publishing. And I'm just wondering if you can say a little bit about that stage of self-care. Yes, definitely. So when Heart, Sass and Soul was published, it was actually quite quick, um, a quick journey from signing to publication. So there was a lot of work um, to be done in terms of, you know, doing PR and writing supporting articles and doing interviews and things like that. So I was on a real schedule and cramming everything in. And in hindsight, I wish I had given myself the time that we're talking about now um, to have an hour here where there's nothing scheduled because I need to decompress or I need to then do a meditation or do a walk or something. And that's in hindsight. But I think one of the key things I I want to share about the publishing process that really did surprise me was actually how I felt when we opened the box of books and actually seeing the book for the first time. And um, it had come to um, the bo- the, so the box of books. First ones had come to the house, and I expected it to come on Monday, and it came on the Saturday. And so we were just having a regular Saturday. I was due to go to the cinema with my daughter, getting ready for that. And then the box of books is here, oh. and <laughs> and my publisher had said, "I oh, would really love you. If, I'd really love it if you could do a video of you opening the box." So I was like, oh yes, God! <laughs> but of course, it has to be natural, so it has to be the real me opening the box. 
so we did it really off the cuff my husband started filming and it was really sweet and my daughter was so she was six at the time she was so excited about the book that she accidentally kicked her shoe off and she was wanting to help me open the box and it was just a real magical moment and it was really joyful and it was perfect moment and in that joy also afterwards came this kind of creeping shame within me and it was um sort of this sort of like more creeping it sort of was this explosion of sort of kind of feeling like unworthy not feeling good enough not feeling uh, just feeling kind of sort of wrong about everything and it's nothing to do with the book super proud about the book did my put my heart and soul into it I was very happy with everything and it and I sort of you know, went along the red thread to my past and saw that it was linked to other moments when I'd had joyful, positive experiences and they were tinged with other people's minimization or dismissal or, and it was a whole kind of red thread that went back and back to all sorts of other experiences. And I hadn't expected to face that in such a joyful situation. And I realized that this is kind of the point in a way that anything that you haven't dealt with even though I have dealt with, you know, so many things and I write about personal development and I write about shame quite freely in Heart, Sass and Soul, there's still emotional wounding that will come up if it's not been properly cleared. And, and that was one of the things that I think most um, surprised me. And the past year, past year and a half since the book has been published have been an amazing journey to actually process stuff I needed to process in terms of doing meditation. I did a, a course on um, releasing shame, did a course, a whole energy um, healing program where I actually understood the energetic body and how things are stored and how to release and how to keep yourself healthy and whole inside. And I think that has, in terms of self-care, that's the self-care that piece I think that, get, that gets missed. It's, it's not it's self-care of you your soul deep inside and how and, and and when you publish a book I think that's quite personal and quite sort of um you, it's very you you will have to meet yourself and all the bits of yourself that you haven't met yet you, they'll come and say hello here I am <laughs> and, and it's and it's about finding ways to deal with that and I think I don't know if you've ever had anything like that with that sort of um but that was something that is it needs to be discussed more I think I think it, it sort of gets alluded to when I look on social media people you know had a sudden detox uh, social media detox after their book came out or they did and you think oh okay they needed to rest but it's not really talked about about how people feel and that it's not all sunshine and roses even though it's a joyful happy occasion yeah I think it's it's there's so many things in there because you work so hard to write a book that's meaningful and it really doesn't make any difference if it's fiction or nonfiction. It's that you're getting into material that's so personal for yourself, I find. And then when people have access to it, there is something about like, okay, yes, what are they going to think of the book? But there's also, what are they going to think of me? And there's this thing about acceptance. And there is this disproportionate vulnerability because there is an enormous number of people, hopefully, who read the book <laughs> and then have access to aspects of you. But then you're aware that there are all these people out there that know more about you than you know about them. And that feels quite strange. And there's really no way to balance that. 
No, there isn't any way to balance that. That I think that's, it's weird, isn't it, that we sign up for that as well, for that level of vulnerability. Um, and I don't especially know why we we're do so, exactly. Yeah, especially as we're so private, most writers. Yes, I know. I know, it's weird, isn't it? Um, yeah, I'm, pri- I'm a private person too. And yet... <laughs> there it all is in the book and it's this weird um weird thing I don't know the answer to that actually I'm quite I can't think of the answer to why we do that to ourselves it's that I suppose that I think being a writer is like kind of like an archetype it's who we are and it's um yeah I don't know what do you think I think it's almost like at least for me there is a drive to write things that are meaningful to me And it's almost like it being published and dealing with people's reaction is a consequence, not the goal. You know, I think it's different to like a profession where you're more likely to be recognized. You know, I think most writers can get away with walking down the street and nobody knows what they look like, which is Mm, part of the appeal, honestly. Um, but that you have this desire, at least I do, I have this desire and drive to write stories and I want them to be meaningful and therefore I want to share them. But the fact that there's then a publicity element to it is sort of like, it's like paying your taxes. Mm, yes, that's a, that's a nice way of looking at it because that's not why we're doing it, but it's an inevitable part of the work because we do want people to read it. Otherwise we wouldn't have published it. We actually do want readership. So it's it's kind of also, I think, in terms of the self-care, it's sort of getting over that fear of being seen. And I think that comes in layers. And I think I still have that. Or I don't think I have it anymore, actually. I had that. I still had that fear of being seen. And it's gone now through the work, through publishing the book, through getting it out there, through um, doing all the inner work after the book was published, that that sort of fear is not there anymore. I don't think so anyway, I hope not. And But I think that's one of the main things of, of recognising that in yourself, that visibility isn't about how much you have posted about your book on Instagram or social media. It's something else. It's are you visible? Are you... It's, it's a different thing. It's sort of a very internal thing of how comfortable are you now with this new level of being public in a way. It's like you're, you have a new public self and it's recognising that. And also I think... When the book came out, people were asking me, so when's your next book coming out and um, what are you writing next? And it also surprised me that um, the sort of lack of respect around rest. <laughs> like, well, yep. I'm resting now, <laughs> not doing anything um, because I, I need to be with where I am right now. And I think that's that's the biggest piece of advice, I guess, is to trust your body. And after it's like running a marathon and you don't want to then start training for the next one immediately. You want to be with what you've just done and feel the effects of it and integrate it into your life. But um, I would say that um, a friend of mine asked me like, what was the best thing about publishing the book? Because it went through so many things. I did a crowdfunding campaign. I did the, the actual publication. Like, you know, so many amazing things have happened been featured in lots of amazing magazines and lot, it's, it's been so wonderful and actually the best thing, and it was so corny, the best thing I said to her was, it was actually the process, the whole process of doing it and, and who I became and what I learned and 
the the experience of doing it that that is I think the best thing you can you can um think because if you're just thinking about your goal how many copies you're going to sell what you're going to achieve that's not the point it's who you became as a result of writing this book and then who you'll be next and next after that and the wonder of that and all the people you met and the, and the, the world that opened up to you because you took a chance and wrote your book and published it. Yeah. It's the sense of what's possible and how that changes. Mm-hmm. I mean, the thing that always comes to mind for me is like the bit at the end of the film and the book, I suppose, um, the never ending story but I always think of the film of like this little boy who has to read a whole book about going on an adventure to learn that he's part of the story. And that was true the whole time, but he had to go through the whole process to believe it. And I think about that with writing also, it's like, we're all capable of writing a book, but sometimes we have to write a book in order to know we're capable of writing a book. Yes. That's so beautiful, Caroline. Yeah. I, I completely agree. I think, I think that's amazing. And yeah, and then also knowing that listening to your body and knowing when it needs to ground, if it just needs to sit on the sofa all weekend, that's okay. If it, whatever you need, it, it goes back to what we talked about in the beginning, the self-trust. Um, and it also comes with having supportive people around you, of course, who won't say, if you're sitting on the sofa for an entire weekend, won't say anything. They'll just say, oh, you know, they're not going to question that it comes with having a supportive environment inside you and outside you that supports your right your you as a writer and you as a person I think I think it's also yeah it's that absolutely and I think there's also a bit about feeling permission to have boundaries you know a la Helen Mirren maybe it doesn't require that strong of a line (laughs) but I do think that often there are questions that come with putting out a book that includes personal experience and whether that's a novel where you're drawing from personal experience or nonfiction where you draw from personal experience as you have and you know because I've shared some things about my life doesn't mean that I'm willing to discuss all of it openly all the time and what it means about what you share in a book versus what you want to share in your life and what that looks like have you found that to be tricky at all not really I kind of have like my sort of um motto for that is to only share what's been processed and dealt with emotionally so even though I could talk about how I feel this and that I have never published anything that's not been processed enough that I don't that it's not it's not it's just a scar then it's not an open wound never published anything where I'm weeping on the page because I think it's really dangerous to do that because then you um, can start in this awful trap of getting likes, getting book deals or magazine articles for your pain. And that's what people are paying for you to, to bleed for them. And that can get you in an awful situation where you're never going to ever be able to patch yourself up because you have opened that your wound up for people to sort of prod in and I think that is really de- detrimental to people's mental health and well-being so I would say yeah all for me I always I, t- I only write about things that are very personal you know maybe 10 years later after they've happened because that <clears throat> may be extreme for me but it's given me enough distance to write about it objectively and with feeling and emotion but to to not be pained by it <coughs> Sorry, excuse me, frog in my throat, to not be pained by it. So I think 
that's um yeah that's stuff that's really important and I once went to a blogging conference and people were reading really personal blog stories at the end and I could see that their pain was still really raw and they hadn't properly processed what they were reading about and it was just really sort of kind of uncomfortable for the audience as well as the people reading it because the pain's just left hanging in the air and I think that especially in these times now it's we're trying to, we, we all need to process our pain and not add to collective pain, if you see what I mean. And mm-hmm. it's the, such deep value in sharing our stories, but sharing them with ourselves first and foremost, before we then share them with others. It's, it's again, I suppose that 70, 30 thing. What, what do I want to share with myself? What do I want to write in my journal versus what do I want to um share with the world and I'm very sort of private as well so I I do keep a lot I don't share details but I always share the feeling and the meaning so that the authenticity is always there even if you don't know the details of something that happened I think that's really important and I think the knowing your timeline of okay how long do I need to keep this to myself before I can consider writing about it. Because I think we're so other focused, we're trained to be other focused all the way back to the good girl that you talked about at the beginning, you know, in order to be safe and in order to be accepted in society, which feels like in order to survive, I have to be accepted. Therefore, I have to follow the rules and be really nice. And it's, it, I think can then pull towards thinking, what would people want to hear about rather than Mm. what am I ready to share? Exactly. That's exactly it. And thinking, what am I ready to share? That is so empowering. And because you've got to be able to live with yourself at the end and be happy with yourself. And yeah, yeah, I completely agree. And keeping your own boundaries, which is not, it's not easy, but no. it's, um, no, but it's, uh, it, it, it's what we need to do to, as writers. I think also writing it with the belief that it will get published if that's what you want. Because rather than, oh, I better put all this stuff in because nobody's ever going to want this. Well, what if they do want it? And what if it's sold and it comes out and then you have to go around talking about it and promoting it? You want it to be something that you're comfortable doing that. So trust yourself and be kind to the future self that's going to be sharing the book. Yeah. Definitely. And not even think about publication while you're writing it. Just write what you really want to write, what you really want to share. And then, um, yeah, because whenever I've um, coached people in writing their books, and I remember one client was saying to me, do you think my book will get published? And I was like, well, do you? Do you think it will get published? And that I think that's the single most important factor as to whether your book gets published or not, is whether you believe it will. If you really, really believe it, and you really go down every avenue and you find your perfect match of publisher, then you'll be published. And I think we forget it's in our hands far more than we think. And we have to stop um, listening to the doom and gloom people who spout statistics and, you know, about projections and that's all fine. But we are creating our own realities. And when you truly believe you're going to do it, you make sure you do it and you keep doing it. That's what I believe. I do too. And I think also we, 
it's we're so quick to think, oh, why would they want my book? Rather than thinking, well, publishers need to have books in order to survive. So they do need books. They are looking for them and they want books in order to publish them. That's how they that's yeah. how they do business. So they need writers. And you're not they're not doing you a favor. You're providing them with something they need. Yes, they want your voice. And this is what I'm about. This is um, finding your voice, expressing your voice. That's what they want. They want you. And then, you know, what we've talked about this entire conversation is self-care to get you out there on the page. And then that's what they want. It, it's you, the, the real you without the makeup and with the, the sweatpants on and uh, just hanging out. That's the you they want. They don't want the glossy version of you. And I think uh, they just want you to be real. Um, and then, but we, first of all, we've got to figure out how to get real with ourselves so that we can uh, just just be and, and and find our way in this um, this landscape, this publishing landscape. Absolutely, I think that's. I mean, I think that we need to believe that we don't need to have the makeup and the and the fancy, you know, Instagrammable look all the time in order to be worth paying attention to. And in fact, most people are more interested in the the side of us that's not so, you know, perfectly manicured. I mean, anybody can kind yeah. of put that together, but that isn't, that isn't something other people can relate to. And like you said, putting the feeling out there, people can always relate to the feeling, even if the details in their lives are different. Definitely. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It's like for me as, um, as a black woman going through time, having constantly relaxed my hair, you know, I used chemicals on it to straighten it. There came a time where I just threw out the relaxer and never relaxed it again. And now I have my natural Afro hair. And having that hair also affects me as a writer because you're becoming, you're stripping off the layers of who, of who you thought you had to be just to be yourself. And any way you can strip off those layers helps you find your voice and helps you be who you are. Yeah, it's like we do all of these things to make other people comfortable, but it yes. robs us of our own reality. Yeah, and it doesn't really make them comfortable. I think it makes them complacent and think they can then get us to do more stuff that we don't oh, want yeah. to do. Absolutely. So it goes back yeah. to Helen Mirren. <laughs> <laughs> I think our new motto is what would Helen Mirren do? Yes, what would Helen Mirren do? <laughs> Yes, yeah, that's the words to live by. <laughs> exactly. It's like they used to have these bracelets, you know, what would, and they had various figures that yeah, people admired. A woman that do. says WWHMD. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should definitely, yeah, that, yeah that's a new motto. Our side business. We can have a side yes. business. Yeah. We'll get, we'll get Helen involved. I think she'd be into it. I think so. <laughs> Greta, where can people find you and what are you up to now? Because I know you've got some things going on that people may be interested to know more about. Yes. So I am relaunching my course in writing for creative self-expression. So this is something I first did in 2018. And it's a seven-week course in finding and expressing your inner voice. And you can find details about that at www.gretasolomon.com. Um, and that will be coming up in autumn, winter, sometime this year, 2020. 
And I'm also writing a lot of narrative nonfiction. I've just found that mm. I'm writing lots of personal essays and I'm absolutely loving it and finding that that's flowing. So I'm just sort of going with the flow and excited to teach this course. And I have a journaling course coming up next year. But um, oh, yeah, so doing good. lots of lots of cool things. So yeah, come and find me on Instagram or social media and um, I'd love to connect with you. Yeah, we'll have links to everything in the show notes yeah, too perfect. to make it easy. But I think both of those things are so good because a lot of people struggle with like, okay, how do I begin a journaling practice that's relevant to me as a writer? And how do I even connect to this, this part of myself that feels so quiet and difficult to reach? Mm. Yes, beautifully put. Well, it's as always such a joy having you on and to have a chance to chat. And I'm so thankful that we were able to do this today. Oh, thank you so much, Caroline. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Secret Library podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this week's show. You can keep the conversation going by leaving a comment in the show notes at secretlibrarypodcast.com or visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash secretlibrarypodcast. You can also connect directly with me on Twitter or Instagram where I'm Caro Donahue. That's at C-A-R-O-D-O-N-A-H-U-E. I look forward to chatting with you there. See you next week. Until then, happy writing. Tired of ads interrupting your favorite show? Good news. Ad-free listening on Amazon Music is included with your Prime membership. Just head to amazon.com slash ad-free fitness to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Enjoy thousands of ACAST shows ad-free for Prime subscribers. Some shows may have ads.